Hey, Angela here. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to invite you to join our Substack community, where you'll get more founder profiles, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, first access to all my original work, and access to our community group chat. All you have to do is click the link in the description. I love and appreciate your support. It's awesome to see all your comments, email responses, and reactions. I'm happy to share this journey with you. Thanks for tuning in. And so we said, all right, we're still a business. We still need to make money. We need to pay our employees, but let's try and spend some of our time on these community causes to help people like politicians and nonprofit leaders. And that's where we sort of started thinking about sort of 80-20. We're still going to spend 80% of our time on running our businesses and making sure they're successful. But um, we're going to spend 20% of our time on community causes. And I'll tell you, the real winner in all this has been us personally. Um, I think a lot of times in the business world, um, you get so focused on the business um, and then you sort of have these come to Jesus moments at the end of the year or a couple of times a year where you're like, all I'm doing is trying to make money um, or survive. I'm not thinking about giving back. You're listening to Honey and Hustle, a video podcast that inspires the dreamers, creators, and hustlers to make a business from their passions. I'm Angela Hollowell, and I'm a visual storyteller based in Durham, North Carolina. I sit down with creative entrepreneurs, nonprofit founders, and small business owners as they share their stories, the lessons they've learned throughout their careers, and how they've worked to make a positive impact. Thank you so much, David, for being here with me today. For everybody listening and watching, my name is Angela Hollowell. I am your host of the Honey and Hustle podcast. And today I'm joined by David Meeker, who is one of the founders of Carpenter. And he is an incredible proprietor of beer, spirits, vibes, culture, and all things that make downtown Raleigh very, very unique. David, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, Angela, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit before we jumped on and me and David have known each other for quite some time now. And uh, truly, I just think he's a man of many talents and has his hand in a lot of different pots. So we're going to try to tease those out and get to the bottom of what all he has going on. But I think for a lot of people who are watching and listening, you know, David really truly embodies an entrepreneur who has really been a force for good within his community. Not only is he a proprietor, but he's also, you know, been very vocal about transportation equity, environmental sustainability, and some political issues that we've faced here locally and statewide here in North Carolina. So, David, when we think about your place in the beer and spirits world with Trophy Brewing, State of Beer, and Young Hearts Distillery, where did your interest for that industry kind of come from? And how was that born out of, you know, your initial plan and business to really co invest in real estate. Sure. Well, first off, thanks for the nice comments. I'm not sure they deserve, but really appreciate them. And I'm um, doing, I think, a lot compared to other business owners, but not doing as much as you are. And so just want to make sure all the listeners know that. And we've gotten to work together on a couple really fun projects. We worked on some bike lane stuff together and then also the Sherry Beasley campaign, which was great campaign and Although it wasn't successful, still running into people from that campaign all the time. So there are a lot of relationships from that are wonderful. So good question. So I really have three lanes of my business. 
One is Carpenter Development, which I founded and I'm the managing partner of, and we do what we call creative retail, mostly in downtown Raleigh. And that's real estate. We buy real estate, lease it to fund retail tenants, restaurants, breweries, yoga studios, creative office, that kind of thing. Through that, we were working on a project a long time ago, about 15 years ago, and we're having trouble leasing the building. And this was mid to late 2008. So it was a really dicey time. I was getting some pressure from my bank on the building to do something quickly because of what was happening in the banking world. And two guys wanted to lease the space to do a craft beer bar. So I said, all right, we need to, and they couldn't get funding. And I was like, all right, we need to work through this. We'll partner together on the craft beer bar for a year or two to help you get funding from my bank. We'll get you open. We'll get you going. Then you can sort of pay my piece off. I can pay the bank back for that piece. And then we can go our separate ways. And then we all became really good friends in that first year or two. And that craft beer bar was called the Busy Bee Cafe, sort of one of the first craft beer bars in downtown Raleigh. Um, and that turned into Trophy Brewing. So what happened was we were releasing all these great craft beers from other breweries. At some point, you want to do your own. And so we funneled the profits from that into Trophy Brewing, started that on a very nano scale over on Morgan Street in Raleigh. And that location is expanded. And then eventually we opened a production brewery too. And then from that Trophy Brewing group, we've spun off two sister concepts you mentioned. One is Young Hearts Distilling, where we're making gin, vodka, rum. Currently, it's a cocktail bar where we're making the spirits on site, which is really cool and fun. But we also have a goal to sort of grow that brand and eventually be in ABC stores. And then we also have State of Beer, which is a bottle shop and sandwich shop on Hillsborough Street that we sell our own beer, but we also sell everyone else's in North Carolina beer. And that's that's good. It's been good for us to have relationships with all the other sort of brewery adders. And then the last thing what I did that I do is through all these restaurant and real estate friends or businesses, we had friends asking us for help on their real estate deals. And so we started a brokerage around that called Elm Partners. And we help really still just our friends buy, sell, and lease real estate. And we are very restaurant focused. So the chef driven restaurants in Raleigh that you might think of, we generally help and help them open their first or fifth concept. So I didn't originally intend to get so deep into the craft beverage world when I got going, but now 15 years later, I'm very into it and it's still really exciting to me. It's changing so quickly all the time and you, and it's hard to keep up and you see breweries getting left behind all the time. In fact, you know, several breweries have closed in Raleigh in the last few years. So it's a hard business. I don't want to make it seem easy, but, but it's a really fun business and a very community oriented one, which has been a very rewarding piece of it. Yeah. I mean, as you talk about breweries that have closed, my favorite neighborhood brewery here in Durham closed over the holidays. It was Barrel Culture. I don't know who's watching or listening that would know who Barraculture is or have ever tasted their beer, but they introduced me to fruit slushies and they'll forever have like a special place in my heart. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. And I think like Trophy probably has that same sentiment for a lot of other people, whether they come for the pizza and stay for the beer or they come for the beer and stay for the pizza or they've seen 
you know, the solar panels and they're like, oh, yeah, I want to support this business that cares about the environment or, oh, I can ride my bike because they have bike parking there. I think there's a lot of draws to trophy brewing specifically because of all the other things you get from that experience. And breweries are an experience. You know what I mean? Like people really care about how they feel when they're going out, hanging out with friends, going they feel safe going by themselves. And, you know, if they're bringing somebody new to town, where are they going to recommend, you know? Absolutely. And Trophy Brewing has been a site of, yes, good food, good beer, good vibes, but also kind of your place where you've taken a stake, especially on transportation equity. I think, like you mentioned that we did a piece on bike lane and bike lane infrastructure here. But you also, I think previous to that, before we met, you took a stand on, you know, bus fares in Raleigh. You're like, hey, city of Raleigh is saying, you know, they can't make bus fare free. Well, you know, we can help fund that with, you know, the profits of people that come in to buy our beer. Can you talk a little bit about why in the world you decided to take on the city of Raleigh so publicly in that way? Yeah, well, it was such a, like, we had an epiphany one day and it wasn't just us, it was probably... 20 or 25 folks in Raleigh and we're just a business so we could sort of get behind it quickly. But it was sort of like, all right, our bus system does not have choice riders on it yet. That's a goal. And we want people to choose riding the bus over the car. But currently we only have riders who don't, who are forced to ride the bus because they don't have a car. And so if they don't have a car, they probably don't have a lot of money. Um, the bus system is expensive to run, but the, most of the money does not come from fares. Actually, very little of it comes from fares. It's just a small part of the budget. And then it also costs money to collect fare. So you can't even look at the fare number. You have to subtract 30 or 40% of that to look at what you're actually getting at fares. So you start to think about it and you sort of say, why are we charging our most vulnerable folks who don't have much money, you know, a couple dollars a day to ride the bus. We should make it free for them as an equity issue, right thing to do. And then maybe that will get everyone else to start riding the bus because there's no friction to getting on because you don't have to have a dollar and a quarter. The buses could potentially run faster because there's no pay delay as you're getting on. There were a lot of issues between bus drivers and riders about pay that could be avoided. And so it just made so much sense. So we got together with the Raleigh Chamber, so big business group, all the universities who could see from their students being able to ride, lots of nonprofits in town who paying for their clients to ride the bus. And we said, all right, let's make the bus fares free. And that was late 2019. Well, our campaign got really lucky with COVID, sort of COVID silver lining in that the city moved quicker than we could have ever hoped. And they made the buses free in March of 2020 so that germs weren't spread on money. And so the buses in Raleigh are still free. We haven't seen the increase in ridership that we would have hoped because of COVID and people weren't riding if they could ride in a car. But our ridership has increased back closer to or has gotten back to normal faster than other cities that didn't go free. So you can sort of see that there's a benefit and more people are riding. And I guess one question is like, why would a brewery get involved with that? I think the answer is 
Um, we're just like any other community members who care. We cared, but we also had an outlet. So because we're a brewery and a place where the community comes, we have a voice. Um, that voice can be used for good um, sometimes, and we've done that. And I'll sort of say it's not without um, backlash. There are plenty of people who don't like our views and don't come to Trophy um, because of them. There are also plenty of people who come more often because they appreciate us taking a stance. Um, it probably balances out in the end or maybe even um, is good for us. But um, but anyway, um, that's sort of why we got involved is because we had a voice on, on those to, to use for those issues. Yeah, I mean, like, but to your last point, it's like, you know, you're doing it at your own risk right? You weren't really sure how people were going to respond. You just knew that you and other business owners were like, we're doing the right thing, right? And sometimes that can be hard to do. And I know hard is maybe an oversimplification of that, but there definitely would be business owners who may not be as far along in their business, may not, you know, have that foundation to say like, you know, whatever people respond, we, we are prepared for that financially and otherwise. And Thinking about Young Hearts, Young Hearts and Trophy have been the sites you've, you know, allowed them to be places where people come in, politicians being people, politicians to come when they're visiting in town. And you also did an incredible can design collaboration with my girl, Natasha Powell, who's awesome in support of Oberlin Village, the renaming of Oberlin Village to honor the history of that area in downtown Southeast Raleigh. So... Again, and this is going into things that people really don't want to talk about, probably don't like to talk about, and probably don't appreciate you being involved in, right? So talking about, you know, your decision to really be vocal about your political stance, what what brought that up? And how did your partners respond when you're like, hey, I want to open up our space to politicians? Sure. So, and actually the, the fare free bus service has been one of our less controversial things that we've gotten into. Um, we've done some um, some events sort of around gun violence and preventing that um, and, um, or ending gun violence or common sense gun laws. We also do the Run for Love, um, which is an event that supports the LGBTQ community in Raleigh. We've gotten some really bad comments around that. Um, and what has gotten us into it is we've really been inspired by people like politicians who have sacrificed so much to fight for these causes. Um, you know, they're sacrificing career, family time, um, and they're sort of all in 100% of the time. And we were realizing, hey, we were spending 100% of our time on the business and trying to make money. And that just doesn't seem fair that some people have to spend 100% of their time on the community and most people are spending 100% of the time on their personal gain. And so we said, all right, we're still a business. We still need to make money. We need to pay our employees. But let's try and spend some of our time on these community causes to help people like politicians and nonprofit leaders. And that's where we sort of started thinking about sort of 80-20. We're still going to spend 80% of our time on running our businesses and making sure they're successful. But um, we're going to spend 20% of our time on community causes. And I'll tell you, the real winner in all this has been us personally. Um, I think a lot of times in the business world, um, you get so focused on the business um, 
and then you sort of have these come to Jesus moments at the end of the year or a couple of times a year where you're like, all I'm doing is trying to make money um, or survive. I'm not thinking about giving back. And by getting involved with these community things, it really is it's really fulfilling. And you're sort of checking that box internally to make sure that, you know, every year you're doing something to help the community and you're not leaving it up to just a few people. And this goes without saying, but the more people working on these causes, the more likely they are to be successful. So although we're not 100% in like politicians and nonprofit leaders, we're another person in the room helping. And the more business owners that can get involved, the easier it is for politicians to do things because businesses are sort of seen as in the middle. It can provide some, some cover on issues that, you know, if you're just an individual, you might not have as much impact. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like the elephant in the room with businesses openly supporting politicians and openly maybe even supporting certain policies, you know, that they want to see pushed is that like they have the money to also back that yeah. up, right? You know, you have commercial space that you can host events on where an individual may have to work a little bit harder to get people in the streets and get people rallied up. So again, going back to that impact, it's like, you know, as a business owner, your platform can look very, can look different ways. We're not just talking social media. We're not just talking your business network. We're also talking the space that you occupy physically. We're also talking about, you know, the other connections that you have and access that you're probably going to have to politicians. Because when politicians are running or even elected, they're like, where can I go that people see as a community space? that they would also feel comfortable and safe coming to to talk with me in a town hall setting or an informal setting. And that's something that, you know, is a cost you have to weigh as a business owner, for better or for worse. Like you said, you know, what what percent of my time can I allot to to doing things like that, you know, now that I have the option to do that. Um, yeah, and I'm, I know I'm glad you, uh, yeah, I just, I'm glad you mentioned that because it is really easy for us to host events because we yeah. have the space. And some people are like, wow, you're doing so much because you're hosting an event a week this month. And sort of in my head, I'm thinking, actually, it's not that hard. Because I just show up about an hour before and stay a half hour after. And that's really all I did. Of course, you know, pay for the food and drinks, but it is a lot easier because we have the space. Yeah. And I know I keep harping on Trophy. We're going we're gonna to move on from Trophy Brewing. But another thing that really drew me to Trophy when I first moved here was the murals that you guys have on the back of this space. So two things about Trophy. So Trophy originally had a couple different locations. And then when the pandemic happened, you guys consolidated to Trophy on Maywood, right? So we had three locations pre-pandemic yeah. and we we went down to two. That's correct. Okay. And yeah. we have two locations. One is sort of our, our brew pub and pizza place on Morgan Street. Yeah. And then the production brewery, which you mentioned on Maywood Avenue. Yep. Okay, gotcha. Okay, that's what I thought. And then, so the one on Morgan Street, one has outdoor seating, has bike racks, colorful bike racks, if you will. And then it also has two murals. So it has a mural on the side of the building that has all these like great North Carolina artists and luminaries and things. And then on the back, what was the one I saw recently? I can't remember the one I saw last, but the one I saw before that was the gerrymandering one. It was mm -hmm. like a mural that was like, stop gerrymandering in North Carolina, right? Yeah. So again, like even without saying it, when people come up to Trophy, they're like, all right, I know what I'm walking into here. 
Thank you so much for watching and listening to the show. Whether you're a day one fan or day 100 fan, I'm so glad that you found Honey and Hustle and have decided to stick along for the ride. As a thank you, I wanted to give you a little gift that this show has so graciously given me. The ability to continue to connect with thought leaders, industry leaders, business owners, and other entrepreneurs, no matter where I am. Link offers a digital business card that is a natural extension of my website and social media platforms that allows me to easily send people to strategic landing pages so they can learn a little bit more about me, the resources I offer, and how we can continue to stay connected. When you click the link below in the description, you'll get 15% off any of their wearables, phone taps, and hopefully the last physical business card you'll ever need. Thank you so much again for supporting the show and our show sponsor, Link. Yeah. And what happened with the gerrymandering mural was we started fighting House Bill 2. Yeah. Before we move on to kind of the commercial real estate, specifically focusing on restaurants, I did kind of want to touch on just here in North Carolina, just for people listening and watching, we are filming this in the middle of March 2023. And there, right now, Ponysaurus previously released a beer that was in opposition of some very hateful and homophobic comments made by one of our elected officials. So again, like we're talking about the ways that David and his people at Trophy have tried to work to advance positive causes here in North Carolina. And those are just some ways. Those other ways are literally brewing a beer in honor of that and having those proceeds go to, you know, Equality North Carolina and other nonprofits. So I think like this element of public-private partnerships is really important. And it's really special and is a part of the creativity that, you know, breweries and public spaces, restaurants, brew pubs, all those types of things bring to the social justice kind of space, which I think is very interesting. Because again, I mean, for some people, you know, breweries, I feel like are apolitical for the most part. Who doesn't love beer? I mean, well, there's people that don't love beer, but still, for the most part, like nobody's thinking about their political affiliations when they're drinking a beer. You know, it's for everybody. You know, it's just like food. Everybody needs to eat. And so for, you know, to take something that, you know, typically is something that you don't have to think about. You're just like, who has beer that I like versus who has, you know, similar, you know, stances on issues that I support, you know, is really taking this dichotomy of like things that we do every day or on a very regular basis and thinking, adding this extra element of like, where am I putting my money and where am I putting my time now for the consumer as well? which, again, leads to some self-selection in terms of who your customers are going to be. Right. Yeah. And I'll just say on the Pony Source Brewing example, we're friends with them, but I was just really impressed with them doing that. You sort of, when you have a beer go out on the shelves like that, you're, you put yourself out there and open to criticism or other, you know, worse things. And, and they sort of made a big move. And, and it was successful that, you know, they, like, they got the word out there and, and seeing them not be financially impacted by that has given all the other breweries sort of some cover to do more. So they're really leaders and so glad they're in the industry. And hopefully we can sort of be a case study for, hey, businesses can get involved with these fights and not go out of business because that's sort of the balance. You don't want to do too much. And obviously, breweries are generally small businesses, but if we can do it and stay in business, maybe medium-sized businesses can do it, and then maybe large businesses can do it too. And of course, large businesses have the most impact with the General Assembly, so hopefully there's some repercussions from things like that. Yeah, absolutely. 
So speaking of the pandemic, because we have to speak about it a little bit, you mentioned Elm, which is your commercial real estate business that helps specifically focuses on people in the restaurant industry looking to, you know, buy or lease commercial real estate for their business. Restaurants got hit really hard during the pandemic, right? And notoriously, restaurants, the profit margin is not, you know, super great. I probably have a better, you know, profit margin than some restaurants, if we're being honest. And I'm a, largely a solo creator, right? So, right, right. you know, and I may not be making as much, but my money is going a lot further because I don't have to pay as many people. I don't have a huge overhead, nothing like that. So there's definitely, um, you know, some concerns there. So why did you want to focus on, you know, restaurants and, and that industry? So we focused on restaurants really because that's where our friends, what that's the business they were in and that's where they needed help. So what happened during COVID, obviously initially sales went down and that was the main problem. But the first year, year and a half of COVID, most restaurants were made whole by PPP money and employment retention tax credit money. If you kept your employees on, you got some money for each employee. But then COVID sort of continued to linger because labor prices went up. So you had to pay more to employees to stay in business. And then cost of goods went up. And then all, a lot of restaurants were scared to increase their prices proportionately too quickly, partly because they didn't want to run customers off, but partly because we weren't sure if the cost of goods increases were forever. So you don't want to raise a sandwich from $12 to $16 and then bring it back to $12 two months from now, sort of. So restaurants continue to lose or make less money for a long time. And I, at least in sort of our bubble of friends, really didn't get going until last fall. Sort of last, the last six months have felt really good for restaurants in downtown Raleigh and surrounding areas. But before that, it was really hard. And it's because it took us a while to increase our prices to sort of match the labor and cost of goods increases. So really, you know, sort of interesting thing, but, um, but you know, that's what happened. And then it, what's we're most interested in restaurants because we want Raleigh to be in Durham to be sort of the best food area in the country. That sounds like a crazy goal, but we want to be like a new Orleans where people are traveling there because the food's so good. And in our mind, that doesn't mean chain restaurants. That means chef-driven restaurants. Normally the chefs in the ownership and the food is creative and fun and exciting. And so we're helping sort of that group of people in Raleigh get into better real estate deals. Some of them, that means getting them a better lease deal in terms of cheaper rent or more upfit. And for some of them who have done a few concepts, it means helping them buy their real estate. Once you buy your real estate, sort of, your mortgage never goes up. It always stays the same, unlike rent. And so, so the, the reason we've been able to create a lane in that world is you don't make a lot of money representing restaurants because the deals aren't that big compared to other real estate deals. Um, not that you don't make any money. It's certainly a viable business, but it's not. There are other lanes in commercial brokerage to make more money faster. But because we're so personally into food and excited about it, we have other reasons to do it. So, so we've had a good run so far and, you know, we're going to keep it going. And to me, the next two, three years of restaurants are really exciting. They're 
currently are fewer restaurants than they were than there were pre-pandemic in the country, but also in Raleigh and Durham. And that means that the chefs didn't open their second and third concept when they would have, or new chefs didn't open their first concept because we are in a pandemic and it was too risky. So all those folks are going to go open new restaurants in the next few years. Um, and so it could be this amazing time for food in the triangle and we're hoping to be a big part of it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I can name a few chefs that, that struggled and that did, you know, open some concepts during the pandemic and that didn't really work out. And so they bounced around a little bit and they're still trying to find their footing. So obviously I'm, I'm definitely for, you know, more options, more variability, more interpretations of what food experiences can be here in the triangle. So I can definitely appreciate that. But, you know, I think if somebody's listening to this and they're an aspiring or current food entrepreneur, you know, they're also thinking about like, what is the most cost effective way for me to do this, knowing that I'm going to have to pay for a lot of things before I even get my first person through the door, like supplies and food and labor potentially. So just asking here, you know, what are your thoughts on like food trucks and pop-ups and, and things like that in terms of, you know, getting off the ground as a restaurateur, as a chef that's looking to open their first, you know, brick and mortar concept? Yeah, I think testing concepts is a really great thing to do. Food trucks, great. Pop-ups are great. Even there's some kitchens now in Raleigh where you can sort of go in for a month and take over. That makes so much sense because you may believe in it. But if the customers aren't supportive, you really don't want to spend the money on it. So, you know, absolutely in terms of testing ideas. One good thing that's come out of the pandemic is the bigger landlords have realized how hard restaurant the restaurant world is. And they are starting to adjust sort of the deal framework for restaurants. And that means lower rent um, than it used to be means helping a lot more with the upfit. And a lot of times it means sort of delaying the rent until the restaurant can sort of get up and going. So give the restaurant three to six months. That's the big landlords. That is not the medium or small landlords yet. But normally what the big landlords do filters down because it's sort of a market thing. And so I'm we're very hopeful that landlords will start giving restaurants better deals and look at the restaurants as amenities um, for their projects rather than sort of an income source. Hey, if you have a great restaurant on the first floor, more people are going to live upstairs or, or work upstairs. While if you have an empty space, you know, you're going to get less rent up there. So we're hoping we can help push that along and encourage landlords to be nicer to, to restaurant tenants. Being nice is always good. You know, that's what I say. <laughs> so speaking of uh, relationships and, you know, that people have among businesses, you mentioned that you are the managing partner of Carpenter Development. And of course, I introduced that at the beginning of the show, but that's the one we've talked about the least, right? So Carpenter, you don't work by yourself. I think you have about four or five other people that are on Carpenter Development. Right. What makes Carpenter Development work? So we started renovating buildings in downtown Raleigh sort of one or two story, one or two tenant retail building. And that was a niche that we could play in because there wasn't enough profit to be made for the big company, real estate companies to be interested. 
So it was a great place to get started. And we did basically a project a year for 10 years. And then five years ago, we started to be work on some bigger pro projects, partly because we were getting older and had more experience and we're ready for that. And partly because we had been around long enough that bigger partners started to trust us. And so we started partnering with other groups on bigger projects, still mainly renovating older buildings or buying older buildings and managing them. But we've scaled up to where we've done, I guess, three or four sort of projects that have retail on the first floor and apartments upstairs, still fairly small projects where there's 10 to 15 apartments upstairs, not 75 or 250. But we hope to sort of scale over time and start to be able to pull off some of the projects. But it all goes back to what we started in, which is the retail world. We just believe that if we can help our tenants in the retail space do better than other landlords because we care. And I'm not saying we're out there, you know, working on behalf of the tenant all day long. But when there are issues that come up where you can help the tenant pretty easily, we try to be there for them. And then also make some long-term investments on the projects that, that help them. And so we, I think that'll always sort of be our differentiator is that we care about the retail tenants a little more than most landlords. And then what's coming up, we're working on some fun projects. Um, we're doing some stuff on South Wilmington street in Raleigh for folks who are here, sort of new up and coming area. We're doing some retail there. At the end of the day, it's a strip center, but our project is way funkier, cooler than that. Um, <laughs> it just functions at a strip center. It doesn't look like a strip center at all. And there'll be, hopefully be brewery, yoga, restaurant, all the stuff we've been talking about, and then some cool office space upstairs. And then we're doing some, we're, we bought three houses next to each other on West Morgan Street, and we're going to renovate each of them. One's going to be a neighborhood bar, one a coffee shop, and one a restaurant. So again, like sort of outside the box, creative retail and, and a lot of fun and don't make as much money on the front end, but we, our projects do work long-term. And as long as you have sort of a five to seven year outlook, our projects work really well. Yeah. I think the five to seven year outlook is where you lost probably 80% of people. I think it's so hard for some people to see that far ahead in terms of you know, gauging a return on investment. And that's just not even for investing in real estate or investing in general. But that's just like, if you are a solo person creating a business, like what am I willing to wait five to seven years for? I think that is different for a lot of people. I think right now, and not even right now, maybe just in general, we as people are wired to like, I have a goal, I have a vision, I want it all right now. And that's just not how life works. You know what I'm saying? Like, there is no... I wouldn't say there is no instant success, but success that is sustainable doesn't come in like your first year or two. You haven't learned enough. You're not experienced enough. And um, the reality is like, even if it came, you probably wouldn't know what to do with it or how to manage it properly. So, I mean, and I'm saying this for me, like it took me a really long time to even think about, be able to think about what my business could look like in five years and what I wanted it to look like in five years. Because I would say my first three years, I'll be full-time three years in May. And it's just like, I just need to pay bills. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I just need to do the best I can, learn as much as I can, and like pay bills, pay my people. Like, that's what I care about, right? Um, it takes time to really like 
get to a point where you can dip your head above water and look, get the 30,000 foot view and say, oh, okay, like, this is what I want. This is where I'm headed. This is how I feel like I'm going to get there. And like, when I get there, I'll be at a place where I'm happy and I'm going to enjoy the journey along the way. So I think, I don't know, this is just a lesson in patience because you've been at this for a long time. But a lot of people listening to this, myself included, have not, you know, we probably haven't even hit the five-year mark. So. Well, and it's such a balance. And like, to me, like the thought, the best thing you can do if you're looking five to seven years out is pay your bills. So like you did the right thing, even though that was about survival, because like your reputation in the community for paying your bills is really important. And obviously, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here 15 years in and lucky to be at a spot where I can sort of have a long outlook and have investors who are willing to wait with me for a long time. But I do think some of that too comes from you know, being I'm from Raleigh, really care about Raleigh. The last thing I'm going to do is do a project and sell it quickly for the most money to somebody who doesn't care about Raleigh. And, uh, and so, because there's other goals other than making money, um, just like, just like you and just like so many people. So again, sort of a, a lucky spot to be in, but I think like to anybody who's just starting being focused on profit and paying your bills is the right thing to do. So no judgment at all from me, certainly <laughs> what I was doing when I got going set. And then quite frankly, like my first real estate project couldn't pay all my bills. And I sort of had to sort of get on payment plans with people, but I made sure 90, 120 days, I got people paid as soon as I could just from, from a reputation standpoint, because the last thing you want to do is, is, you know, have people think you're not going to pay your bills terrible for the brand so yeah. and, and very common in in real estate that people don't pay their bills so it can, the differentiator that you know if you do you're you're better than some yeah yeah i appreciate that i appreciate that vote of confidence for people who are just like in the weeds right now just trying to make it happen you know that's that's how it's got to be sometimes and that's okay you're you know Putting in the work now will hopefully get you to a point where you can lift your head up and, and do more things with your business and hopefully reach that 80, 20, 70, 30 space where you're like, you can put some more effort into other things that you care about in the community. So Absolutely. yeah, David, thank you so much for sharing your perspective and your experience and your expertise and yeah, I don't know, your boldness maybe. <laughs> so hopefully somebody got something from it. Well, yeah. And thanks for having me on and I'm inspired by you too and what you're doing and sort of envious too. You seem to be working on all the, all the fun projects and I'm hoping you'll include me on more going forward, political campaigns for other causes in the community. So I really appreciate being here. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate that. And I, I now I feel better. Now we're all having a great time. <laughs> awesome. All right, David, thank you so much. Yeah. Good to see you.